Scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5. We'll be picking it up at verse 13 through to verse 26. This is part, of course, of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the lengthiest recorded sermon uh, that we find from the very lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, recorded in Matthew 5 through 7, uh, chapters 5 through 7, but we'll be reading uh, just verses 13 through 26 of Matthew 5. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but is to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, in no wise uh, shall in no wise pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called uh, the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother Without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, thou shalt be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, and first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto you, unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. My dear congregation, through the centuries, there have, of course, been many wonderful gospel hymns been written and sung within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ for the edification of many, many souls. And some years ago, uh, the hymn writer Horatio R. Palmer, who also penned many uh, wonderful Christian hymns, he wrote uh, many hymns on many subjects, and one of them was on the subject of anger, surprisingly, maybe. But the title of this hymn is titled, Angry Words, and it concludes this way. Angry words are lightly spoken. Bitterest thoughts are rashly stirred. Brightest links of life are broken by a single angry word. 
Love is much too pure and holy. Friendship is too sacred far for a moment's reckless folly thus to desolate, desolate and mar. How true it is that anger, unbiblical anger, has ruined so much in this life. And how the church of Jesus Christ also so desperately needs the Savior. The Savior's blood, the Savior's example uh, to fill our hearts that instead of having unbiblical anger, that we would be filled with godly Christian love. We need to be warned as Jesus warns here in this short portion that we read from Matthew chapter 5, not to engage in unbiblical anger, which he tells us quite clearly and we'll, we'll unpack in this morning's message, is really connected to a murderous heart. And so as we continue on now in our series through the Ten Commandments, as we've been doing in these past months, we come this morning to the Sixth Commandment, the Sixth Commandment, uh, that states very simply, thou shalt not kill. Literally, thou shalt not murder. Exodus 20, verse 13 will be our, our, our text words. I also want to read the corresponding Lord's Day to this particular, uh, this particular uh, commandment, the sixth commandment. Uh, you, you like to follow along, and the three question and answers is on page 76 in the back of our Psalter book, page 76, and it's Lord's Day 40. And question 105 asks, what does God require in the sixth commandment? And the answer that neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less indeed, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor, but by myself or by another, but that I lay aside all desire of revenge, also that I hurt not myself, nor willingly expose myself to any danger. Wherefore also the magistrate is armed with the sword to prevent murder. Question 106, but this commandment seems to only, only to speak of murder. Answer, in forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he accounts all these as murder. And question 107, but is it enough that we do not kill any man in the manner mentioned above? No. For when God forbids envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness toward him, and to prevent his hurt as much as in us lies, and that we do good even to our enemies. Our theme as we consider this sixth commandment is very simply, no murder allowed, no murder allowed. Our, our first thought is uncovering uh, the truth of this, uncovering the truth of this sixth commandment, so violations of this sixth command. Uh, secondly, we want to dig a little deeper in that we want to see the roots or the motivations of this particular sin, breaking this particular command, and then positively building a defense so that by the grace of God we would seek to not uh, break this command in thought, word, or in deed, and so we'll consider some virtues that Scripture encourages us to, uh, to walk in the way of obedience of. So, no murder allowed. <clears throat> we, of course, have been uh, considering 
all of the commandments of God. The Ten Commandments, the moral law, the Decalogue, various ways to refer to it as. And as we think of the Ten Commandments, sometimes, as we, we've mentioned in the past, we, we categorize them as to the matter of importance, don't we? And we think, well, one is a little less important, another one's a little more important. Sometimes some people look at all ten of them and they say, well, there's the big three among the ten. And the big three are often referred to as the eighth commandment, stealing, the ninth commandment, lying, and then the sixth commandment, the sixth commandment that we're considering today, uh, that is murder. And indeed, uh, these are serious offenses when we break uh, God's law in this way. Those uh, commandments sometimes are referred to as the big three uh, by some because uh, those are the ones, generally speaking, that are punishable uh, by law also in the country in which we live. You can actually spend time in jail for, for some of these things, and, and people do. And then sometimes out of those big three, people in their minds also say, well, uh, among lying and stealing, certainly murder has got to be the worst of those three. And it is a, a terrible thing, as we'll, uh, as we'll consider this morning, but the reality is, of course, uh, that breaking any of the commandments of God's law is a violation against God Himself. And if we are not forgiven uh, by the grace of God uh, by, for breaking any of His laws, we will not just spend a little bit of time in prison. We will spend an eternity without God in hell if we break one or break and, and in breaking one, of course, the New Testament tells us in principle we're breaking all. But if we, we, we break His law and we're not forgiven for breaking His law, there is an eternity, a punishment to pay forever and ever. And so let's remember uh, the serious nature of God's law. But now, uh, coming more particularly to this commandment, this sixth commandment, it is an incredibly brief and short commandment. It's straightforward. Thou shalt not kill. Four words in the English, two words actually in the Hebrew language. No killing or no murder, literally. But as we think of that in, in the English language, no killing, we, we have to, of course, see this in, in the broadness of the context of the entirety of Scripture. Because the listing in the fifth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, just simply says, thou shalt not kill. Does that mean, then, we can't kill animals? We can't kill uh, uh, we can't kill uh, any plants uh, to, to eat as well. And, and of course, immediately we are reminded and Scripture teaches us and encourages us uh, that plants and animals not only may but, but must be eaten to, to, to strengthen us and to give us, give us daily strength for the energy that we need. But this specifically is obviously about other human beings only. Other human beings only. We may not murder other human beings who have been made in the image of God. When God created Adam and Eve and all human beings uh, subsequently that come from our first parents, we are made in knowledge, in righteousness, and in holiness. And God said, let us make man in our image. That is the image in which we are created now. Of course, the fall, in the fall, the original fallen paradise, we have all but erased that image, but yet there is a faint tracing, if you will, in every single individual 
of the image of God impressed, as it were, upon our very being, upon our very soul. And so God says, no murder of those who are made in my image. Now, this commandment is one of the briefest in all ten. The fourth commandment is the longest, certainly, uh, that speaks about uh, honoring the Lord's day. Uh, this, this sixth commandment is, is simply two words. In the Hebrew language, no murder. No murder. Uh, there's a variation of the, the original words in uh, the Hebrew language for killing and, and for murder, but this specifically tells us no murder. But even though it is brief, it is by no means shallow. There is a depth and there is a breadth, there is a spirituality about this commandment as well. It is not just a, a one-dimensional commandment uh, that we can rest easy with our heads upon our pillows at night when we say, well, you know, I went through this day and I didn't kill anyone. And therefore, congratulations to me, I kept the sixth commandment. No, there is a depth to this commandment. There's a spirituality to this commandment. There's, there's, there, there's weight to this commandment. Because this commandment not only prohibits the external act of murder, but also the, the motivations that would lead up to that and the internal uh, posturing that we have naturally within our very hearts. And I trust we, we sensed a, a bit of that uh, coming out in the very wording of the, the exposition of uh, the, the Lord's Day that treats this particular commandment. Now we live, of course, in what we refer to as the land of the free and the home of the brave. And many people want to come to this land because there is uh, so many good things here. But yet at the same time, in the United States of America, we have the highest rate of murderers of any country in the entire world. There is approximately 19,000 homicides every single year uh, that law enforcement have to deal with. And then you add to that, of course, about a million plus abortions, 1.2 million uh, about abortions per year, which is murder of the unborn in the mother's womb. And we also live in a, in a land where euthanasia is, is on the rise. It's lower comparative than uh, European countries. Uh, euthanasia actually uh, comes from uh, the word that means good death. Uh, there's nothing good about death. There never has been ever, any been good about death. Uh, but that's where the term comes from. And when you, when you add all of these things up and you think of all these things just in the, in the land in, in which we live, we have to remember that that which makes murder so terrible is that it is not only the violation of the express commandment of God, but it is the seeking of the destruction of human beings made in the image of God. Now, we hardly have to go very far, of course, to, to read in the headlines and the news and Sometimes it's, it's, it's shocking uh, what we do read of people who are, who are murdered, are murdered in cold blood. There's all kinds of murders happening, not only in our nation, but around this world. But then, very sadly, when you turn to the pages of Scripture, what Solomon writes, there is nothing new under the sun. Think of the very first family. Think of Adam and Eve. Think of their first two children, Cain and Abel. It's very plain, isn't it, that Cain rose up and killed Abel, his brother, fratricide in his own family. 
And it's been happening ever since. Think of Saul. Before he was converted, he was at the very least consenting or approving to the murder of Stephen, according to Acts 8 and verse 1. And then let's remember this, that there are murderers and killers, sadly, as part of this fallen world, and it's just something that that happens, but it's not only among the ungodly. This happens among the godly as well. Think of David. He was involved in the plan to murder Uriah, the king, the king, the saved king of Israel. And chapter after chapter and book after book in the Bible speaks about the the sobering reality that people have been killing people for the last 6,000 years. And there's no end in sight. It will, it will be part of this fallen world until the day that Jesus returns. And so it's something that we have to not only recognize and realize, but recognize that God prohibits it plainly, simply, clearly. But the committing of outright murder is not the only thing that the Lord prohibits. We can murder with our thoughts. We can murder with our words as well as our deeds. And so we, we don't have to go and visit the local prison to meet murderers who have been convicted of this crime, this, this serious crime. We can be murderers as Christians in our own hearts as we engage in, in, in biblical activities. Let's, let's remember the, the sobering reality that the Ten Commandments, yes, they are for the world, but they were given to the church, to, to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the liberated church, to the delivered church of the Lord Jesus Christ. After Israel came through the Red Sea, a picture of deliverance, God says, now here are my laws. And why did they need the sixth commandment? Because we are naturally murderers in our very hearts. Well, how then do we, can we, might we, murder and break this command? Well, we can murder with our thoughts. We can murder with our thoughts. When we, when we think unbiblical, hateful thoughts about someone we are breaking the sixth commandment. That's the whole point of, of Jesus here uh, that he's speaking about in Matthew chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. We can have an unbiblical and unjust anger against our brother, and we are da- in danger of hellfire in the judgment. We can also murder with words. We can have hurtful gossip or a cruel teasing. In this way too, principally we murder. Psalm 140, they have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. The psalmist felt the, the cutting pain of hurtful words. James 3 in verse 8, James writes, the tongue is, is full of unruly, deadly poison. And then he adds, out of the same mouth proceeds cursing and blessing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. We can cut somebody up so badly that we can be killing them in principle. You know, we have the phrase in the English language, don't we? Well, don't talk about that person that way because that's Character assassination. Assassination is killing somebody. That's, a, that's an accurate phrase. We can, we can be engaged in character assassination, which in principle is a violation of the sixth commandment. And Jesus is addressing this very principle here in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. He says, you have heard it 
that it was said of those of old, that you shall not murder, and whosoever murders shall be in danger of judgment. And so Jesus says, yes, that's accurate. And then verse 22, but I say to you, and here he starts getting into the motivation, that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause, that is, without a just biblical cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever says to his brother, Raka, which literally translated is, is empty head, or maybe you can translate it even more contemporarily, uh, blockhead, or, or just a, a terrible expression and belittling someone, uh, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, and actually that, that word fool there is the, 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 the word amoros, which we get the term moron from, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. And so you see what Jesus is doing here is something extremely important. He is equating, he is equating unjust anger, unbiblical anger, and I want to stress the unbiblical anger because there is a biblical anger, but with unjust anger, with murder. He's equating the two together. And we have to think soberly and seriously and deeply sometimes about these things. We have to pray that God would sanctify our hearts, that He would sanctify our tongues, because we can commit not only murder with our hands, we can commit it with our heart and with our mouth. And also, we can commit murder with our gestures, with our body language, the expression of our faith, the, the angry tone of a voice. We can murder with our eyes. We, we have it again in the English language, don't we? Well, if looks could kill, I'd be a dead man. We, we have that expression. You see, and that comes from actually biblical principles. Think of Cain before he killed his brother. His countenance fell, Genesis 4 and verse 4. And then in verse 5, God said to him, Why are you wroth? Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? It showed all over his face, just as he was, he was murdering his brother. There's an old saying as well, the eyes are the windows of the soul. We are called to love with our whole demeanor. We are to communicate love to our neighbor with our, with our whole demeanor, with our eyes as well, with our face. You see, we can silently be breaking the law of God, even sometimes not aware of what we're actually doing. The Catechism goes on to summarizing Scripture that we're not to hurt ourselves nor expose ourselves to danger in a, in a reckless and a careless way. And so there are a thousand different ways, you see, that we can, can actually break the, the Sixth Commandment. How, how desperately we also, as the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, need to be reminded that God takes His law very seriously and He calls us he calls us to, to obey Him and to not murder. No murder, He says. Maybe if you're a, a, a thinking person, you, you say, well, is there any exemptions to this, any exceptions to this, this very simple yet profound commandment? And of course, Scripture is, is clear that it seems in, in three cases that Killing our fellow man is allowed. The first way is capital punishment. Capital punishment. Genesis 9 and verse 9, Whoever, Whoso sheds a man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. As Christians historically have upheld the biblical principle of capital punishment uh, that when... Uh, when there is mur murder has taken place, first degree murder particularly has taken place with intention, then there may be, 
uh, capital punishment. Not necessarily has to be, but maybe capital punishment. And it's there to act as a deterrent for others not to commit more murder. Then, too, there is legitimate self-defense. Legitimate self-defense. Exodus 22 and verse 2, it gives the example of a thief breaking into our house and our life is in danger. And he would be killed. Uh, the thief would be killed legitimately, legitimately or our family's in danger. We have a right to defend our, our, our life and our family's life. There is legitimate self-defense. The Bible seems to speak quite clearly about this as well, that, that this is, would not be a violation of the Sixth Commandment. And one of the most discussed, and I just want to lay it out here, the third exemption would be during wartime, during a just war. Now, of course, there has been many unjust wars throughout history. I think if we study just a little bit of history, that's very clear. But there has also been many just wars throughout history, and we don't have the time, or is it the, the purpose and the purview here to, to, to speak about these things, but I would only refer you to, if you want to read and study more on this, there's uh, several good resources, particularly uh, Al Mohler uh, on his website, almohler.com. Uh, the briefing, he has a plethora of subjects, and one of them is on the just war theory. And I, I've read it quite thoroughly, and I think that's probably the most biblical, the most biblical source out there about this very thing. But God says no murder, but yet capital punishment, legitimate self-defense, and just war are places where it may be engaged in. But let's dig just a little deeper this morning and ask ourselves, what are the causes, what are the motivations, why people have murdering thoughts? First of all, there is envy. There is envy. Envy is a terrible thing. It can be deep within our very hearts. Solomon writes in Proverbs 14 and verse 30 that envy is like a rottenness in our bones. It is deep, deep within us. Jealous and envy, sometimes the two oftentimes are, are, are blended together, if you will. And it is this, this discontent that comes deep, deep within us and gets us to be resentful of, of somebody, my fellow man, who's been made in the image of God, and I want what he has or what she has, and I don't have it. And we can have this, this, this envy that can be part of a, a, a murderous heart, if you will, in principle. And then, along with that, as Jesus addresses here in Matthew chapter 5, there is this terrible sin of anger, unbiblical anger. And again, I stress that adjective unbiblical because there is a biblical anger that we may have, a righteous anger against sin. Ephesians 4 and verse 26 tells us, be angry and sin not. Be angry and sin not. But there is also a, a, a sinful anger. Sometimes we get confused and say, well, we're always supposed to love as Christians. Yes, we're, we are called to always speak the truth in love, uh, but God is a God who has the capacity of anger, and He's made His creatures in the capacity, in, in His image. And therefore, we also have the capacity of anger. But the problem is our sin nature gets so many things messed up and mixed up that oftentimes we engage in unbiblical anger, sinful anger. And anger is not something that just happens to us. Anger is a choice we make, even though it's a deep emotion that we experience. But it's a cause of, of murder. 
It's a motivation for a murderous heart. In fact, 1 John 3 and verse 15 tells us that whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And of course, he's implying he who hates his brother in an unbiblical way is a murderer. And so we have to pray that the Holy Spirit would, would keep us from unjust anger. And He would only give us a righteous anger against sin as Jesus had. Then thirdly, there is the, the very pervasive and difficult reality that we all struggle with. That is the desire for revenge. The desire for revenge. It's a root sin that is connected with a murderous heart. And we can be murderers by hurtful revenge. Paul addresses this in Romans 12 and verse 19 where he writes, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Give place unto wrath. In other words, give it its space. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so we have to say, Lord, please, you take care of the vengeance. Grant me wisdom to know what's sinful so that I may have a, a, a biblical hatred for sin. But the Bible is very clear that it is God's part to engage in revenge. It's not our responsibility. And I believe one of the greatest and most challenging things for a Christian to do is to seek to discern between unbiblical revenge and biblical justice. You pause and consider that for a moment. That's a very, very challenging thing. And you may say, well, oh, that's easy. Now, in some cases it is, but most cases it's a very, very difficult thing and you really need a lot of prayer uh, for wisdom. Lord, please help me to understand the difference between biblical justice, the desire for biblical justice, and unbiblical revenge. But let's not be discouraged that God won't lead us because John 16 and verse 13 tells us that when we pray to, the, pray to God, He by His Spirit will guide us into all truth also in this way as well. And so let's be reminded that the Lord righteously and justly hates sins, but He also hates the causes, the roots of these sins. Now, it is right and it is proper for we as Christians to seek grace and to seek to flee and to abstain from sin. The Bible is plain, isn't it? It's very clear. Abstain from sin. But is it enough simply to say, well, I don't have a vengeful heart. I don't have a hateful heart, at least at this moment. And I'm in the neutral zone, if you will. The writers of the Catechism very wisely, pastorally, recognize the reality of Scripture that whenever God prohibits something, even though this command is just two words, no murder, it implies, the flip side of the coin implies you should be doing something else in its stead. You should be doing something else in, his, in its stead. Not only no murder, no hatred, no revenge, and all those, those murderous, envious thoughts, but replace that with something else that honors God and that does our own soul well and will be good for our fellow man and for the promotion of Christ's kingdom. How can we build a defense, as we close this morning, how can we build a defense in a positive way? Let me give you just some biblical 
broadly biblical guidelines that, that do overlap with one another. Half a dozen or so. First of all, we ought to love life. We ought to love life. Not in a sinful way. Not eat, drink, and be merry, uh, for uh, we live now and tomorrow we die. Not in that way. But remember that life is a gift of God. Life is the opposite of, of, of murder. Life is the opposite of death. It's something that God has given us. And so let us seek to embrace this gift, this gift of life that God has given. Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10, the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I, he says, have come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And of course, ultimately, the only way that we can fully, truly, in, an, in, a, in, in a biblical way, embrace life in its, in its riches is to enjoy Jesus Christ at the center of it and embrace Him who is eternal life for His people. But at the very least, remember that life is a gift of God and seek to, to love Him and to love the gift that He gives. Love life. But then secondly, we ought to also show tolerance. Show tolerance with our fellow man. It follows, of course, that if we can have a murderous thought, a hateful thought towards our, our, our brother, our sister in the Lord, we ought to seek to show tolerance with a scriptural sense, not in the sense of not caring about sin, but positively about caring for our fellow man. Colossians 3 and verse 13, forbearing, that is bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Paul writes the same thing in Ephesians 4 and verse 2. You know, in one sense, we're all in this together. And Christians, we can be such shallow people. And we can find the littlest thing to squabble about in life. And we just don't show each other tolerance. Well, the Bible tells us to bear with one another. And to forbear one another, to forgive one another. Because you know as well as I that if we don't do that in a heartbeat, in a microsecond, in our own heart and soul, uh, that not forgiving one another, not tolerating one another. We can, it, it degenerates in a moment to envy, to bitterness, to angry, to a murderous heart. And so, therefore, God, you see, in His wisdom, says, tolerate one another in a biblical way. Bear with one another. And then, too, with that, we ought to seek to preserve peace. Jesus says, doesn't He, earlier in, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. We are to seek reconciliation when there's a rift between relationships. Romans 12 and verse 18, as much as in us lies, we are to live peaceably with all men. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why, why so many exhortations to peace and to unity? Well, the writers to the gospel accounts, and God, of course, being the author of peace, knows how fragile peace is and how easy peace can break down and can lead to division and breakdown and how that it's so destructive and ultimately division comes from the very source of hell itself, comes from, comes from Satan. He seeks to divide us from God. And so we have to seek peace with God and with our fellow man. Seek after and preserve peace within our own households, 
within our relationship, within our working relationship, working relationships, seek and preserve peace. And then too, with that, we ought to exercise biblical meekness. Exercise biblical meekness. Our hearts by nature want to be number one. Now, everyone has a different character. Some people are not as meek as others. Some people are maybe a little more naturally meek. But everyone needs to pursue meekness. 1 Peter 3 and verse 4, we are told that meekness in God's sight is of a great price. In other words, God says, I put a very high value on meekness. And if God puts a very high value on meekness, we've got to say, I want more of that, please, Lord. Give me a double portion. Showing compassion is another way that we can replace a, a hateful, vengeful heart. Showing compassion. Galatians 6 and verse 2, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you see somebody in need, help them out. Bear with their burdens. That's how we fulfill this law of Christ. And then finally, we ought to be simply friendly. Be friendly. Proverbs 18 and verse 24 tells us that a man who has friends must show himself to be friendly. If we exercise friendliness to our fellow man, it goes a long ways as well, along with all these other exhortations in Scripture, principles in Scripture, that will seek to be a deterrent so that the unbiblical, vengeful anger that can degenerate into a murderous heart will be avoided. And so who here can put their hand in their own bosom, if you will, and pull it out and say, you know, I'm clean. There is not one single one of us, no matter who we are, no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, every single one of us has this tendency to break the sixth commandment. We all have an, a bitter, vengeful heart. But the question is, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? What do we do about it? Well, sometimes when we hear a convicting sermon, Sixth Commandment or otherwise, we say, you know, Lord, I'm going to be better tomorrow. I'm going to be better tomorrow. I'm going to pull up myself by my own bootstraps, and I'm going to... Turn over a new leaf. I'm going to turn over to this new year. I'm going to make some good resolutions and I'm going to be a better person tomorrow. Well, it's good that we might have a resolve to be obedient. But if we think that we can be obedient in our own strength, we are so sadly mistaken. We need Jesus Christ. We need Jesus Christ to obey this sixth commandment as well as all the other nine. We need His redemption. We need His forgiveness. We need His grace. We need His example. We need Jesus to obey the sixth commandment. And you think of Jesus Christ Himself in relation to the sixth commandment. Remember what happened to Him. He was the, he was the, the focus, wasn't He? of unbiblical anger. People were unbiblically angry at Him. They wanted revenge upon Him. They took Him and they nailed Him to the cross. They broke the sixth commandment, murdering the Son of God. You, Peter writes in Acts chapter 2, have taken and with wicked hands, he said, to his hearers have crucified and slain. And it is true, of course, that there were certain Romans 
who actually physically held the hands of Jesus, nailed the nails into Jesus' hands. But Paul tells us that it wasn't only them, it was your sins and it was my sins that nailed Him to the cross. It was we who were murdering the Son of God with our sins. But the beauty, you see, of the Gospel is this, is that Jesus, Jesus Christ, who was put to death by those breaking the Sixth Commandment, then historically, now spiritually, says to those very same people, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the nature of sin. They don't understand the nature of breaking the law of God. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And he invites lawbreakers. He invites boys and girls. He invites men and women. He invites sinners who break this law. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. I will forgive you. So will we come to Christ? Or will we say, no, Jesus, I don't need you on this last day of the year. I don't need you in the new year to come. I don't need you. You see, when we reject the grace of God, when we reject the example of the Son of God, we are really saying, Lord, I'm better than you. I don't really need you to get along in life. But I pray that by the grace of God for the first time or afresh, we would say, Lord, I'm just a sinner. I'm a sinner on my best days. I'm a sinner on my worst days. And I need you. I need you desperately to cleanse me, to help me, to bless me, to keep me. And when we do that, when we confess our sins, he says, I am both faithful, I'm true, and I'm just. I'm right to forgive you your sins. And to cleanse you, not just from some, but all unrighteousness. Also of those who break this commandment, you shall not kill. May God grant us faith to flee to Jesus and hope and rest and forgiveness in Him. This is the Savior we serve. Amen.